And today, we are wrapping up a sermon series on love. Uh, so we've heard sermons uh, of all types uh, of love. Um, and we decided to end with a simple church. And for those of you who have not been to Blue Water, what a simple church is, is just a way uh, to hear from uh, people, from ministers within the Blue Water community. And who are the ministers of Blue Water? We are, everybody. There's not just one uh, pastor, an associate pastor, children. Everybody's a minister. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> one big block to church growth is that um, people uh, particular, particularly do not trust uh, the move of the Holy Spirit in the individual church. So this is a way to uh, make sure that we are trusting uh, the move of the Holy Spirit in our personal ministers. So every once in a while, we will have a simple church where we will hear uh, someone's story, how they are ministering, and what's going on. So I will introduce the two people here. This is uh, uh, Sonny. Uh, our kids know her as Auntie Sonny. She is a family life pastor, children's minister here at Blue Water Mission. Uh, and over here is uh, Tony. Uh, sometimes known as the kids uh, as Uncle Tony. He is a... He, he, he does a lot around the community. He likes to say that he's, the, he's one of the coffee makers, but he does much more. He uh, had run a, a really healthy and beautiful growing Ohana group for a very long time. He's preached before. He's He's done it all, so it's always great to have him. Uh, and he grew up right across the street, Palama Settlement, which is really cool. Um, <clears throat> so uh, to end the, the sermon series on love, um, we just wanted to hear from two people that has experienced God's love in a very special and particular way. Um, one church retreat that we did, I think about four years ago was the Father's love and the spirit of adoption. Uh, so there is something about God's love um, and adoption. And so Sonny, um, many of you may not know, uh, is adopted. Uh, and Tony is someone who has uh, adopted. So two times. Uh, so we just want to hear from them um, about that experience and how we can kind of understand God's love through that experience. Um, uh, so I'll, maybe we can open with you, Sonny. Um, I get to work with Sonny in the office uh, every week, and you may know her as children's minister. I know her as a powerful one-on-one -on -one, uh, minister and counselor. I've seen her go to some pretty hairy situations with... Uh, just ease and confidence, um, you know, and I'm like, wow, Sonny, how do you do that? Uh, and in those occasions, she'll share with me some of her story of how she grew up. And so I think it's a really powerful story. So why don't you kind of share, share that with us? Uh, can I just pray first? I feel like that would help. Father God, I just lift this uh, time to you. I lift the opportunity to speak to you. I pray that you would just anoint both Tony uh, and myself. I just thank you, Lord, that you, you are a gracious and good dad. 
And we just thank you for that today. I pray that you would use our testimonies to impact the kingdom more than they already have. In Jesus' name, amen. So I was raised in a large family, um, a pastor's home. And that's my little baby picture. Baby Sonny. <laughs> uh, there was seven kids in my family. I was the youngest. And uh, my parents moved to Hawaii in the 50s when it was still a territory and became missionaries. They built a church up in Wahiwa and they um, began their family. And then they moved back to the mainland to do some ministry work and they were in a tragic car accident. The accident broke my dad's back. My mom's bra was, jaw was broken in four, five places. The steering wheel was embedded in her, and she was pregnant with the baby girl at the time. So after that accident, they weren't able to have children anymore. And the longing in my parents' heart was to have a large family. My mom came from a large family. My dad's family was good size too. And so they really wanted a large family. Uh, so they ended up applying to be parents through adoption. And it was interesting because the social worker didn't care for them. It's kind of obvious, my dad said. Uh, she didn't want a pastor to be a father to a, an adopted child. And their paperwork kept going missing, and they were declined. And even though my parents felt in their heart this is what they were supposed to do, they just kept it as a matter of prayer. And the interesting thing is, a few months later, uh, a gal calls, and... It, it happens right on the heels of my dad getting a word from the Lord that in 90 days you're going to have a baby girl. And so it's really weird because, you know, here they've been denied, but they just kept praying on it. The social worker calls and says, hey, I'm newly reassigned to this case, and I'm just wondering, are you guys still interested in adopting? And my parents said, well, you know, we were declined, and so we kind of thought we were out of the picture. And she says, oh, no, I looked over your, everything looks good. You just have a few more papers that you need to turn in. And they explained that they had, and they'd gone missing. And she says, well, let me take a look and see what I can do. And uh, she calls back not long after that and says, hey, I have a baby girl for you. You need to come get her in two days. And my parents were like, holy moly, they're rushing around trying to gather things. If you've ever had children, you know it kind of takes a while to get everything put together. Um, but they did what they could, and off they went to another town to, to get me. And it was interesting because uh, when they arrived, they, they were told in advance, you have to bring clothing. You're not going to get the baby with any clothes on. And I don't know, I think that's weird, but my parents said, okay, we're going to bring something. And so they brought some clothes. And, and uh, here they go to change me, and they didn't have diaper pins. I had to wear cloth diapers, and I had rash problems, I guess. So they, my dad had to run out and get some, some uh, diaper pins. And while he was out, there was a very interesting uh, story that the judge told my mom. He said, uh, well, I just wanted to meet you. I wanted to know who the parents were going to be of my granddaughter. And my mom was kind of like, wait, what? And he began to tell the story about what happened. My mother, my birth mother and father were not married to each other. They were married to other people and they had an affair. And so I was a product of that affair. My, my birth father was a politician. And so he was trying to keep everything hush hush and under the table. My grandfather mentioned that he and an uncle wanted to adopt me, but my mother um, didn't want to have anything to do with that. And she had actually decided to have an abortion. And I guess at the last minute, she couldn't do it. She couldn't go through with it. So she decided to have 
take me and put me up for adoption and put me into the welfare system. And uh, that's how I got into the system. And my grandfather was sitting there telling my mom the story. And she's just kind of baffled, like, wow. And he just said, I wanted to meet the people. I'm so excited that she's going to have such a great home. So they took me home. And you know, I always knew I was adopted. I kind of grew up hearing that story. It wasn't like I had this one time where I heard the story and that was it. I heard it over and over, how my parents chose me, how they loved me, they wanted me. Um, and yet inside, I had this feeling that I wasn't wanted. I couldn't shake it. I, I wasn't wanted, I wasn't supposed to be, and I couldn't understand that. Here I have this feeling that I know that I'm loved, I'm wanted, I'm accepted by this family. I was chosen. And I also have a feeling of unwantedness. Um, and, I, and I have this other feeling that I feel God has set me apart for something special. So, Sonny, just let me clarify. You are in a, a home in which mom and dad really wanted you. Uh, you're an answer to prayer. Um, I'm sure they did their best to, to create a, a loving home, and yet um, you're feeling rejected. You're feeling out of place. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was five. Uh, well, what my family did is we denied other children into our, our family, and that's how we got seven kids, two girls and five, I mean, two boys and five girls, and I was the youngest. So when I was three, we took in some more girls, and the the girls that we took, the three of them happened to be sisters. What happened when I was about five was my sister and I were in our room. We shared, three of us shared a room. And she was yelling and she was upset and she was angry. And my mom, mom comes in because my sister was very hurt and very upset that why in the world should I be adopted and she's not? How come she gets to be adopted and I don't? And my mom, just in her loving and gracious way, said, I love you both. In my eyes, you are both my daughters. A piece of paper that says you're adopted and you're not doesn't matter to me. You're both my daughters. I choose you both as my forever girls. And that helped me, but it still didn't take away these feelings. My sister, it helped her too. But I kept having these nagging feelings and it just wouldn't go away. How, how, how could I understand completely when you have a family who's loving they've created this empowering and equipping home they've given you such nurture and love and you know prayer was such a vital part of our family and yet here i have all these other feelings that i can't reconcile and um i know there's people in this room today that they've felt rejection before you know uh, maybe you're a kid and you're caught in the middle of your parents' marriage that's dissolving and you feel you're unwanted or you feel like you might be in the one that caused it. You know, maybe you've been in a relationship that failed and you feel rejected. Um, I know there's people that have felt that way, just like I did. And I struggled so hard to find freedom over that. I, I really struggled. Cool. Tony, what, what's, uh, what's, what's your story? Okay. Um, so I wasn't adopted. Sonny showed her picture, so um, that's me when I'm two. No, you guys know who that is? That's Maymay. So that's Maymay, two years, three months. And that's Maymay in a couple of weeks leaving to New York 
to go to college in um, Poughkeepsie, New York. So, the span of time. Um, so I, I, Karen and I adopted two children from China. I think you guys know of the China one-child policy that actually just stopped this year uh, because of many reasons. So early on, uh, we thought about adopting. So Mamie is actually Anne-Marie, and Lonlin is actually Amy Louise. So we decided to go to China. I remember at that time when I was making the decision, I thought it was the noble thing to do because it's Christian, right? It's filled with honor and self-sacrifice, etc. And I said, yeah, that's a good thing to do. And throughout the Bible, you read about adoption. Moses was adopted. Eli, um, Samuel, see Elijah if you want to know more. Samuel was adopted. Um, Esther was adopted. And, of course, Jesus. Jesus was adopted. And God adopted an entire um, nation. So that made sense to me biblically to adopt. And also at that time in my Christian walk, I never had a real good personal relationship with Christ. You know, I would talk to my wife, and she would say, she would tell me she could hear God's voice. And I'm thinking, my other friends would tell me they would see signs and wonders. And I wanted that so badly. I would go to church on Sunday. I would read the Bible. And I would often ask God, I would like to see you and hear from you like my wife and my, my friends. And I thought, maybe if I do this, you know, this could be, I never went on a mission trip, so yeah, let's go to China and adopt a girl and save her from the one-child policy. So in concept, this made really good sense. So we, a, a couple weeks later, we got our notification. You know, the social worker has to come to your house to interview you. And at that time, it's a local agency. I remember uh, Karen saying, if possible, could we adopt a girl from Beijing? And he very quickly and emphatically said, no choice, no choosing. You know, you submit your dossier to the government, and it's arbitrary. And I can tell you, as long as I've been doing this, we've never had a child come out of Beijing. It's usually out of the provinces. So I can't put that in. The reason why Karen wanted that was 13 or so years prior to that, Karen actually lived in China for about a year. In Beijing, she befriended a an elderly retired couple, I think one was a professor, and she actually lived with, she met them at a park, and she actually met them. She was staying there for a little while, and she decided, they, they invited her to her house, and they said, no, you can come live with us. Karen wanted to study Mandarin. So she ended up living there for over, about a year, 13 years ago in Beijing. So you can see the, the, the love she has for that city, and that retired couple who was still alive. And so she wanted to end up there. When that's not happening. We get our paperwork, and it's a little small photograph of a girl at an orphanage in Beijing. I call a social worker. He says, I don't know how this happened. First time. So we go. She contacts the elderly couple. And this was really a great benefit to all of us. They allowed us to live with them. And I got, so we got to live in a really local Chinese neighborhood. The analogy would be if your friends or family were, were coming to visit you in Hawaii, and instead of putting them up in Waikiki, you put them up in Kaimuki. That's a great experience to just be part of that. So I liked all of that. We come to China. The second day, we go to the orphanage, and they 
They, they give me Mamie. That's a picture. Two years old, three months, 19 pounds. Um, I put that to scale, that tea kettle there. And um, everything was nice. I remember when the social worker at the orphanage put her in my hands. Um, she was very bold and inquisitive. Um, and when we left the orphanage, the first thing we did was we went to a restaurant because we figured all orphans are hungry. And I was shocked because Mamie would not stop eating. She ate and ate till she was full, not till she was no longer hungry. And it dawned on me it's because she probably never experienced being full. And so we let that happen. The other thing, though, that happened and became quite obvious was she would cry a lot. I mean cry and cry and cry. And this started bothering me because I couldn't understand. Again, I went into the concept of this is of high honor to adopt and save a child. I didn't know the father role. And I, she, we had our luggage in our room against the wall. She would run behind the luggage, lay on the floor, and cry. 20, 30, 40 minutes, she would turn hot, red. This was Beijing in July. It was 90 plus degrees. Also, when we got her, she had long hair. Most of the kids were bald because that's what you do in the summer. You cut the hair short. She was also in American diapers because the orphanage knew she would be adopted by a Western family. She did not like the diapers. She did not like the hair. She didn't know who I was. I don't know if she was used to males. And she would cry and turn red till she would fall asleep. Because we lived in Kaimaki, I got really embarrassed. So I would anticipate that and pick her up and start patting her on the back, patting her and patting her. I would walk around the block. I just didn't, you know, Karen's auntie and uncles are there. The local people are looking at me. And you're still in China. You're not in Kaimuki. You're still in China. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But I'm just, you know, making must, the, making the, uh, yeah. yeah I'm, in, I'm in that Beijing neighborhood. And it got to that point every single day. She would eat till she was full, then she would cry for 30, 40 minutes. I picked her up and I patted her on the back. And, you know, Beijing was so hot when you're walking around the block. Our local t-shirts, Hawaiian t-shirts, were too thick. I had to go out and buy the Chinese white, really thin t-shirts. Really, I wish, if, I wish I had more. They're really good. And, and this side of my shoulder would always be filled with snot. And I hated it. This didn't make sense. To the point where I started looking at the investment that I made. It sounds biblical, right? The cost, the investment. And I started to regret this a little. I had, this is going into a week now, and I started to experience buyer's remorse. And I said, why, why did I do this? Now this is embarrassing, but I wanted to make a point because I actually thought this. And I said to myself, at the apex of this, why? This is not a mission. Why did I do this? I, re I started to regret buying this orphan, and I said, I could have bought, bought a Toyota <laughs> or at least a Subaru Outback. I started thinking about stuff like that. And it sounds terrible, but that's where I was. And I, this was the first week and a half of... And I'm sure some of you can experience or have experienced being in a relationship that doesn't meet your expectation or, have, or perhaps your perception of going out on a limb at great risk and it's just not working out. That, that's where I was early on into the adoption process. Mamie was a commodity. 
And I just couldn't get past that. So uh, Sonny adopted, um, Tony, someone adopting, um, both with a great intention, a great uh, people surrounding you, um, <clears throat> but you're in really uh, tough, messy situations. Um, what happened? How did you get through it? How did you become uh, the people of God that you are today? Well, I was mentioning I had this really great home. You know, my dad got word 90 days, you'll have a baby girl. It was exactly 90 days later, he got a baby girl. The hand of God was all over this story. And even though I could see some of those things growing up, I still couldn't reconcile them. I was about 13. I had all these questions growing up. I was one of those, just like my daughter is now. Why? Why? How come? Why? Not because I questioned the person, but I, I was just questioning. I had so many questions. And especially questions surrounding my adoption. I couldn't reconcile things. I couldn't understand things. Why didn't my mom want me? Why did she give me away? What's wrong with me that she wouldn't want me? These are questions I'm sure many kids that are adopted might face. Um, and inside, I had this knowing that something wasn't right. I wasn't wanted, yet I was set apart. God set me apart, and I was wanted by my parents. So when I was 13, my mom shared with me the circumstances surrounding my birth. And while I got a lot of answers, they were not the answers that I wanted. Right? I didn't get the peace that I was looking for. I didn't get the res resolution that I wanted. And so I kind of started on this trek of journaling, writing poetry, writing songs, worshiping, uh, getting some counseling. And, and it wasn't until I went away to college where distance kind of set me away from my family that I could really see my family for what it was what I had, what I was given, you know, what makes a parent? A parent is not a piece of paper or a donor. It's the person who gets up with you in the middle of the night when you're throwing up or that you wet the bed and need a change of, of linen. You know, the person who holds back your hair when you're sick, you know, who stays by your bedside and comforts you when you don't feel good, who picks you up when you fall down. All of those things, that's what, that's what makes a parent. And I began to see what kind of gift God really gave me and how he had literally picked me up from this horrible situation and put me over here. And in doing that, he gave me a new legacy. He gave me a new heritage. Um, my story wasn't going to be what it was, you know, how Satan wreaked havoc for it to be. But God said, no. She's mine. I got this. And he put me in a home that gave me the opportunity to understand the love of Jesus. And I began to really understand what it meant to be a child of God, what it meant to be adopted as a daughter of God. And it was powerful. It gave me this fresh perspective that I had never had before. It allowed me to see things in, in, in a significant way that I am chosen. My parents chose me. But God also chose me. But I had to also choose. I had to make a decision to accept that love and accept the gift that I was given. And here's this verse I want to share with you. It's Exodus 6, verses 5 through 7. 
Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will, flee, I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And for me, it was kind of like God split the sea right open to give me a different path. There was nowhere else, and God just made this path for me, just like he did for the Israelites. And I was like, wow, I get it now. I, and, and I feel like when that happened, it was like God said, okay, you get it. Now this is what I have for you. And that's when he called me to ministry. And I was a little bit like Jonah. I was raised in a Christian home. I knew the sacrifices and, and everything behind what it means to be a, a pastor, what it means to be a servant of God. And like Jonah, I was miserable. So I said, okay, Lord, whatever you want, I'll do it. And I had this strong inkling that he was calling me to Africa, so I was kind of freaked out. And I just said, okay. And in that moment, I realized God's calling for my willingness. He's not saying, okay, today you leave, you're going, you're on a plane. No, he wants my willingness. He wants me, like Abraham and Isaac, he wants me to be willing to trust him, to find he is faithful, to know that he's faithful. And it's funny because sometime later, many years later, I did actually go to Africa, and I started a nonprofit down there. But I just find that the God that we serve he chooses us. He adopts us as sons and daughters of the Most High. And we aren't in a position to accept that until we choose to. We are chosen, but we have to also choose. Mm. Uh, so, so, Sonny, if I could summarize. Um, <clears throat> in a sense, uh, there was old family and there was new family. Um, new family um, had uh, a loving place for you, had chosen you, but in a sense, there was, even though you didn't meet old family, there was still kind of the, the things that, that their intentions were still kind of stuck in you somehow, even though you had never met them. Rejection, things yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted answers yeah. that I couldn't, I couldn't get. Yep. Yeah. And it wasn't until you got um, some distance, some perspective, where you could see like, wow, I, I really had a gift uh, and the intentions of new family um, are there. There needed to be a process in a sense of, of deliverance. Um, and you connected your story with the story of uh, the Israelites <clears throat> whom God had chosen um, they were enslaved, uh, you were enslaved, yeah. um, they were brought to freedom, and yet they still were not in that kingdom of God until they kind of, uh, they had to work to get there, um, and you had to do that too. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope that my story resonates with people because I think we all have to come to a place where we understand that God adopts us as his sons and daughters. He adopts us as his children. He chooses us. But in doing so, he's also given us the choice to choose him. And it's not until we choose him that we can fully, com completely understand what it is he's actually done for us. 
Um, he rescues us out of bondage, out of slavery, um, and he redeems us. And he desires that we would each have that fresh perspective like I got, you know, and, and find that freedom. And I know you were asking me some questions. You said, what would the community look like um, if we were no longer thinking as slaves but as children of God? So I wrote some things down. I said, no longer would kids be in the middle of a parent's power struggle. You no longer experience rejection, but acceptance and everyone has a place. Walking out our freedom as children of God means that we love our neighbor next door and the Mayor Wright community across the street. Our hearts, our homes, and our doors are open wider. Maybe you guys might find yourself literally adopting as I have. Um, I'm in the process of adopting. Next month it will be official. And it's funny, uh, I got a two-day warning just like my parents got a two-day warning <laughs> to get ready for this little one. Um, but I just, I want to declare over our church, um, this, I want you to have that new and fresh perspective. Uh, you are not slaves. Whatever it is that, that the enemy tries to hold us captive and enslave us in bondage to, we are sons and daughters. God has adopted us. We are sons and daughters of the Most High, and we are children of God, and he wants us to act like it. Cool. Tony. Conflict resolution. We're in the resolution phase. Um, before I, for, I, I need to say this, I forgot that um, I have Mamie's permission to share this story. Some of you might be wondering, hey, did you ask her? I asked her many times. Every time I revised the story in my mind, I asked her ad nauseum. She sometimes would cut me off before I would ask again, Dad, yes, Dad, Dad, yes. <laughs> so I have her permission. <laughs> so now we're close to two weeks of this um, buyer's remorse. And one thing for sure, my right bicep is larger than my left because all I remember is patting her on the back, patting her on the back, going down the block, patting her on the back. And um, one afternoon at about four o'clock, Mimi was sleeping. She got up and she went straight to the front door and she started pounding on the front door. And it, it dawned on me that she did that before. I just never noticed it until I looked at my watch because it was always three or four o'clock. And I didn't know what was going on. One thing that we were fortunate about living with a local auntie, she called the orphanage director. I don't think I would have ever had that ability and she asked the director, why does Mimi's always do that at 4 o'clock? And he said, oh, let me go check. I guess he went to talk to her social worker. And he said, oh, that's the time when she is allowed to go into the courtyard to play. You know, they eat at the certain time. They use the restroom at the certain time. 4 o'clock is her playtime. I thought that was a great insight because maybe I found a way, right? So the next day at 4 o'clock, I, I take her down to the local park, and I think, this is great. She's no longer, I don't have to pat her on the back. But, um, and she had a, a, a nice time. When you put Mamie down, she runs. And with all children, they run, right? But they have this imaginary boundary where they turn around because they want to see where's mom and dad. Not Mamie, because I, I, I wasn't her dad, right? And she wasn't my daughter. She would run forever because she wants to get back home. 
One day, she ran across the street, like Kapahulu Avenue Street. And I went after her, and she saw me coming, and she rolled under a parked car because she knew she wanted to get away. So I get to the car. I can't fit, right? I'm looking at her like you would look at a stray cat, and she knows the arm distance. Mamie, come out of there. <laughs> Mamie, come, come. And so, you know, um, one thing Mamie liked, she, we had this plastic bottle with a green cap that was like sugary milk. She lived on that because she was found when she was one day old. All of these children are. So I had one in my backpack, and I'm enticing her. She comes out, and I grab her, and I'm patting her on the back, and I'm so upset. I had this moment of relief because I realized, wait a minute, buyer's remorse. Exchange policy, exchange policy. I'm within 30 days. And so I'm thinking, I can handle this. I have a light at the end of the tunnel. And I pick her up, and she's crying. And we start heading down the block. I like to go to this area where I could watch them through the window of a restaurant. And they would be making like this baby manapua. And I loved watching them scoop, dip, scoop, dip. And I would tie my padding on the back like that, and she'd fall asleep. We're at an intersection. It's hot. It's humid. My shirt's snotty. She finally falls asleep, and I start to cough. And I don't like that because I have asthma. And if anyone here has asthma, you know your triggers, right? They're usually environmental triggers, stress, heat, exercise, bad air quality. And I got nervous because I don't have my um, rescue med with me, my short-acting beta agonist with me. And I'm coughing and I'm coughing, and I start to talk to Jesus. Like, what is this, Jesus? This is not a short-term mission. This is a long-term mission. Jesus, where are you? In a way, in hindsight, I think that's good, even though I'm an early Christian, that you still talk to Jesus. So wherever you are in your Christian walk, you still refer back to the blueprint. And so I'm upset, and I'm wondering. I'm coughing, and I'm coughing, and maybe sleeping and dribbling. And I know this asthma attack is coming on. Of all things, it starts to rain, this kind of warm rain. And I can't stop coughing. I miss the green light. And all of a sudden, I feel this pat on my back. And I stopped for a while because I didn't know what's that. And it wasn't like thunder and violins. It was just, and I feel this pat on my back. And I realize Maymay is patting me on the back. And it wasn't, yeah, this wasn't a, as we would say, small collision, big bang, this great awareness now that Mamie and I look at each other in the city of Beijing, and she says, Dad, and I say, Daughter. It wasn't that. <laughs> it wasn't that at all. But it happened. And, it, and it, it hit me days later as I thought about it, especially at night when I'm sleeping, that this was God through the hands of a child telling me where he is. And perhaps I needed to understand that son-father relationship before I could be a better father-daughter. And that's why I have um, this up. I'll read it to you. This is in your bulletin and, and also on the, the big screen. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. I always got this in concept because it's so universal, but before the creation of the world, 
He chose us to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us to be adopted at His Son. This is sonship, yeah? This is beyond gender. But before the creation of the world, God chose you. And here I am crying and going through this adoption process, and there's a bigger process that I don't understand. I'm beginning to appreciate. As His Son through Jesus Christ, in accordance with His pleasure and will, through the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us and the one He loves. So He adopted us, and as we know, at great cost, but He adopted us. And He knows everything about me. And I think, in hindsight, TJ and Sonny, I had to begin to understand this more in concept. I've always read this. I always knew the Bible was filled with adoption. But maybe, and as I mentioned to you before, I would always go to church. Hey, God, personal relationship. I would go to the prayer line. Personal relationship. Nothing happens. I think what Jesus, what God did was, Tony, take you out of Hawaii. In fact, I'm taking you out of the United States. We're going to Asia. We're going to China into a city called Beijing. And there you will meet an orphan who will lay hands on you. And you will hear my voice. And this will be more than concept. And so I began to understand more my, the father-son relationship that this is a done deal. And yet I continue in this father-son relationship to play the prodigal son. I weave in, I weave out, I negotiate. Jesus, I'm all yours. Maybe 80%, 20 on the side. And yet he's constant. And he keeps coming back. And he keeps reminding you. And that reminder is because of grace. This is all about grace. Because he already has made the investment on all of us. So I think the short of it is, I had to become a better son to finally become a better father. I had to understand the bigger adoption until I, for me to understand how to become a father. And once I started, and it had to be in that sequence, and once I started appreciating that, you know, it's still hot, still Beijing, she still cried, but I had a lot more patience and understanding because I understood how someone was very patient and understanding with me, purely, purely by grace. And who am I not to be Christ-like since I have that opportunity? And so now, you know, 16, 17 plus years go by. Mimi and I still argue. We still fight. But she, along the way, I chose her to be her, her father. She chose me to be her daughter. And um, I, I just think that sequence for me had to happen that way. Thank you, guys. So uh, someone adopted... Uh, someone adopting, realizing they were adopted. A lot, there's a lot of symbolism, a lot of par parallel. Um, uh, God gathers his people, and, and he says, I want to relate to you uh, like a dad. I want you to relate to each other like brothers and sisters. And yet, uh, even though he gathers us in that way, even though we are in a church um, together, uh, pursuing that together, we can still feel... Uh, like an outsider. We can still feel rejected. We can still feel like uh, this is not uh, working out. Um, 
And even if we have the best intentions to, um, to live our life as someone who embraces others, it's still messy. Uh, we can still have remorse. Um, but uh, if we plod through it, uh, there is much joy to be had. Um, I want to call up the worship team. Uh, they are going to lead us in a song of response where we can kind of meditate, we can worship the Lord for who He is, um, and, uh, and, and pray, pray together. Um, so I'll, I'll start us out uh, in that prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you uh, for these stories, Lord. We thank you for the place um, that you have given us in your kingdom. Lord, we, think, we thank you that we can call you uh, not only uh, God, creator, um, but we can call you daddy, papa. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you have prepared us um, a place at your table, a place in your house, and we thank you uh, that we can expand that table, we can expand that, that, um, that house. Lord, uh, equip us uh, to push through uh, the hard times, uh, help us to see the grace um, uh, as Tony did uh, in the pat of a child. We love you, Lord. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.